Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, everybody. My name is Mark. My name is Jessica. And we have Phil with us today. What's up, everybody? Just Phil. Just me. Just not senior pastor, pastor. new senior pastor. Mm -hmm. Not even pastor. Just the one and only Phil. Just same old Phil. (laughs) Or that guy that taught on Sunday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For Easter, which is, from what I've been told, a big weekend in the church world. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. I would argue (laughs) the church's Super Bowl. That's what Easter is. Yeah. So we'll have a good halftime show for that. We'll Mm -hmm. have some. Yep. Mm-hmm. Special musicians come in to do that yep. big thing. Musical artist is the Easter Bunny. <laughs> nice. Yes. And we already have a sponsor for this week's video. Yes. Um, you mentioned it in your message this past mm-hmm. weekend, a local coffee shop, Blue, Blue Bottle. Bottle. So good. All so, right. Blue Bottle, so if you good. actually want to sponsor us at any time, please yeah, yeah. let they us know. They could afford to because their cup of coffee is like $10, but it is. Oof. It is so good. So good. Um, Palo Alto, right? Uh, well, yeah, a couple locations. Yeah. yeah, Palo Alto, and then there's one at Stanford Shopping. I think there's another oh, one, too. Right. Also, shout out San Shinjuku Francisco. as well yeah. in Tokyo. Oh, oh man, they uh, got a blue bottle over there. I oh. swear, it is so good. <laughs> Look at that. I See? love that one. Shout All right. Out. Yeah. We're going international. Shout out yeah, Tokyo. We could, we could record our next uh, podcast. Oh, like okay. Shinjuku. That'd All be cool. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil, thanks so much for teaching this past weekend. Uh, it was your first Easter weekend with us teaching at Menlo Church. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, Easter is a really big deal, and I'm still kind of learning culture in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And I think there, it, you know, I spoke at Christmas as well and kind of came into town for that. And that one, I mean, you can even see it just in the way that we think about and add services and all that stuff. It, Christmas is a bigger deal just culturally it feels like than mm-hmm. Easter here. Uh, it feels like a lot of times at Christmas you're getting folks who are truly just like completely unchurched people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they want something that comes with Christmas and church feels like it comes with Christmas sometimes. Mm-hmm. Easter, I think almost always if an unchurched person's going to come, they're coming through an invitation. Mm-hmm. So they want an Easter brunch. Uh, they'll do some Easter activity. But the connection to a faith framework is almost, it feels like almost entirely removed culturally from Northern California. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm just learning about what that means. And I think trying to lovingly help our community know it's going to take an invitation, but I think we're still in this moment where there is enough um, sort of holdover (laughs) that people will say yes to that invitation. Mm -hmm. And then obviously my, my talk uh, was a lot more driven towards a unchurched person, dechurched person, underchurched person, mm-hmm. skeptic, uh, because I, I want to communicate to them that we know they're here, and it's kind of the only shot we're probably going to get for a little while. And then I also want to just make sure that I'm in the way that I in the way that I speak in moments like this, letting our own community at Menlo know you can trust us that when we ask you to invite someone what that person's going to walk into has been thought out for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so hopefully we achieve that and uh, hopefully God mm-hmm. uses it. I appreciate how you set up that framework in mm-hmm. the beginning of your talk as well and actually explicitly saying right. pretty I, much just that. I have an yeah. agenda. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. I think 
every unchurched person knows that we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think naming it, and, and you know, often I think the agenda that they think is way worse. Right? <laughs> the agenda they yes. think is, yeah. uh, you're going to make me uh, pray a prayer. You're going to make me walk down the aisle. I think there's something about going underwater. You know, like mm-hmm. they have this idea in their head. And so that's to be a, able that's to, for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my agenda is that you would believe that faith could be reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. That you don't have to have to check your brain at the door, that you don't, you're not going to get struck by lightning when you walk into this, all these expectations that if you really have unchurched people in your life, they believe this stuff. Like mm-hmm. this is a thing in their head. And so just letting them know, uh, like we talked about this weekend, it is not, the gospel is not um, this place where really sweet, good people come to be gooder. It's where <laughs> uh, people creating the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth who are broken and sinful and far from God find him because he actually is the good one and did the work on our behalf. So, um, yeah, hopefully that message came through. I believe that it did. Yeah. Jess, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think I was going to add on to like the way you set it up is really helpful too, because I think a, for those in the crowd who are believers might take it as like a, wait, why aren't you talking to me? But then Mm. hopefully realizing oh, this is actually really important for whether or not I brought an unbeliever, mm-hmm. non-believer. Um, it's a good reminder that we should be inviting non-believers to church with us. And then hopefully for the skeptic or the non-believer, they are, that like perks them up of like, oh, okay, so it's not going to be this message that I don't understand. It's specifically towards me and hopefully makes them not like tune out, but instead tune in a little bit deeper. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, Easter's a unique thing. We did this in Colorado as well, but usually you have younger kids in the room too. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have a wider audience kind of in every, every dynamic, right? So the, the message is going to be shorter uh, than normal. You've got, um, you know, you, you've got folks that are really mature Christians and have expectations about what Easter is. You have little kids that, like, their parents have said, you can't open your Easter basket till after church. <laughs> They're in the room, um, and everyone in between. And so making the most of, you know, really a handful of minutes uh, mm-hmm. to do something that is more than just a religious tradition to scratch an itch, that's really important. And uh, I think I'm, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity. Yeah, And I would even add on that if someone is in the Bay Area and follows Jesus and is highly intellectual, the reminder that faith just needs to be reasonable and you don't have to think your way or logic Mm -hmm. your way through every aspect of that would probably remove some stumbling blocks for those that have even been attending church for a while. For sure. Yeah. And so I really appreciated that, that angle as well. And for those of us that might be in our communities now, they're like, hey, I want to start inviting my friends to church. And if they have a question, like, what is the point of Easter, Phil? What is it? I know that it has to do with Jesus, and I think he died, and then he came back. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what would be your—how can you coach someone to answer that question concisely? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when we consider the life and ministry of Jesus, most of what we think about is some version of— um, Jesus was a really good person, and even to a certain extent, a really good moral example for us. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's true. Jesus was Mm -hmm. all of those things in his earthly ministry, lived this amazing and perfect life, very much confusing and confounding the expectations of the religious leaders around him. His, His biggest critics were actually religious leaders 
whose power his model for life threatened. Mm. Um, and so I think that it's easy when we go, tell me about Jesus, to lean into all of that stuff. And that's great. That's important. But it's actually this week, kind of Holy Week, as we talked about recently, uh, leading into the crucifixion and the resurrection that make it matter for a Christian. There, there were other really good people throughout human history, not perfect, but really good people. Th- we, we have other examples. Uh, Jesus is not just an example. He is um, our, our substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. And so what, what Easter represents is that Jesus really actually did die for us. And so all of the Old Testament examples of sacrifices that were incremental. So it was, hey, we're going to take lots of great care in actually sacrificing this animal on this day for this sin. Um, The Bible really talks about that as like a shadow or foreshadowing Jesus, that none of Mm. that actually ever uh, addressed sin in people. It was just reminding people that they had sin that needed to be addressed. And then Jesus actually was that perfect sacrifice and died on our place. But if all he did was die, um, there are other people who have claimed to be Messiah and died. That's not a big deal. Claiming to be Messiah, living a perfect life, dying, and then boom, Easter coming back from the dead showed that Jesus actually is who he said he was and can reign and rule for all of eternity. And so the Jewish people, they had a a high priest that was their go-between, between God the Father, who they thought of as Yahweh, uh, their covenant God, and themselves and their own sin and addressing that. Now, the book of Hebrews says, that Jesus is our permanent great high priest. And so now we have this mediator uh, that, is, that is literally living forever in perfection and has extended his per- perpetual perfection to us. And so the, the resurrection, or Easter, is the evidence that what Jesus said he could do, he actually did. And so now, 2,000 years later, the reason we still celebrate it, the reason the church still exists, the reason that Christians still exist— is because of that event. And, you know, if you go, well, what about the Bible? Well, for literally a couple hundred years, what we think about of the Bible or Tabiblia, uh, that didn't exist. So they had the Hebrew scriptures, they had some early accounts of Jesus' life, and then these letters that were circulating, but it wouldn't be for hundreds of years before it was recognized as what we now know as the canon of scripture. So this singular event People were really basing their lives on Jesus because of, and ultimately giving their lives for that movement as they faced, uh, in, in some cases, death, martyrdom uh, for following Jesus. So it all hinges around the reg- resurrection, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and so how, how can I be assured or be pointed towards reason that this is actually something that I can believe in and get behind? Yeah, so I mean that was that was definitely the heart of the message. There's a couple books I want to make sure people know to look for. Uh, one book, "The Reason for God" by Tim Keller, great mm-hmm. book. Uh, another book called "The Problem of God" I quoted from by a guy named Mark Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's a book that just came out uh, called "Is Easter Unbelievable?" Four questions everyone should ask about the resurrection story by Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, and so her she frames the book. Uh, is is Jesus' life historical? Is Jesus' death ethical? Uh, is Jesus' resurrection credible? Uh, and then some sub stuff underneath that. Mm. Um, but really helpful. She's uh, very scholarly in the way that she uh, thinks about and analyzes that stuff. Um, but we have, you know, when you think about um, evidences biblically, you think about um, 
internal evidence, external evidence, historical evidence. And so we broke, the, I mean, I didn't call the terms that mm-hmm. during my talk, but we kind of broke down each one, right? So we have the canon of scripture, which uh, it's easy to try and poke holes in it because it's thousands of years old. But I think a lot of people who are skeptical of the validity of scripture, if they brought their level of skepticism for scripture to literally their thoughts about anything else, they would believe nothing um, <laughs> because scripture is the most historically reliable document we have there isn't a there isn't a second place like the 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 chasm between the veracity and reliability of scripture all of it uh, especially the new testament that it was written by who we think it was written by that it was written around when we think it was written the consistency within uh the accounts themselves um Yes, are there textual variants? Is there scholarly work that's done? Of course, absolutely. But when we go, hey, the main stuff of Scripture, we know that it's really agreeing with itself, and then it really uh, corresponds to the reality of the authors. That internal evidence, we shouldn't just pass by. Like, we shouldn't just go, well, that's just the Bible. Of course the Bible says that. Uh, Historically, that took a long time to get to where we have it in our own language, uh, incredibly well translated from the original languages, preserved, reliable. We have you know, tens of thousands of manuscript evidence that scholars are regularly checking to make sure that what we read today is a, a valid corresponding truth to what was originally written. Um, and then there's external evidence, and some of that is uh, church history. Uh, that's not in the Bible. That's just like historians that wrote stuff down. Um, and you have unbelievable stories. I didn't get into James' story, but uh, James is one of the most compelling stories for me. He's the half-brother of Jesus. We have no evidence that he believed his Jesus, his brother Jesus was Lord during his life, which um, checks out like I'm the youngest mm-hmm. brother. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. Like, it, it, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, you're perfect. Ooh, neat. You know, like, and, that's, <laughs> and it was only after... Jesus came back from the dead, which, uh, shout out to my brothers, if they want to convince me that they're God, <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. It would take a resurrection. Yeah. Same, uh, mine too. And so he comes back from the grave, and then James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he serves on the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, and makes this really important pronouncement in the first century church. Uh, church history tells us that eventually um, he would be, because he wouldn't renounce his faith, he would be thrown down from the top of the temple uh, in Jerusalem, and then while lying in a pool of his own blood dying, the guard comes down to make sure he died, and church history tells us that he's praying for the salvation of the guard as he dies. Mm. Mm. You're like, I think something happened with his brother, you know? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the Apostle Paul, like you, you see these stories, not just internal to the story, but external. You see uh, folks like Josephus, who is a Jewish scholar and historian. He is not a Jesus follower. And he's like, he's literally going like, yeah, they're different. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. something that happened. They all are talking about the fact that Jesus came back because Jesus did not come back to life on Easter Sunday, have brunch, and then ascend to heaven. Mm -hmm. He was around for weeks. At one point, he shows up to more than 500 people at once. And so, you know, at one point, I think he's writing to the church at Corinth, uh, Paul, literally decades later, says, if you don't believe me, just like go talk to some people that were around, like they're still alive, right? Mm. And so uh, I think that's pretty incredible. And then uh, sort of the historic impact that I think you go, something different, something catalyzing took place. You watched a group of Jesus followers that after the resurrection on Saturday were contemplating how they would return back to their life and livelihood 
hiding from the authorities, and literally over the course of the weekend, they become freedom and hope fighting, fighting renegades for the rest of their short lives that would be cut short by their own extinction and execution for the very faith that they were now so confident in that they would die for it. And I just think like all the things that sort of roll up into that, it doesn't matter how secular our age gets. It doesn't matter how unchurched our moment becomes. You can't change those historic realities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we would do well to make sure that our faith is tethered to that important moment in human history and everything else flows from that. Mm. This was a week where we really focused on teaching to the people in our audience that might be here for the first time, maybe coming back for a while. How would you encourage our community now to carry the spirit of invitation? What would you like to see in the, in the next coming weeks as we're going into this new series? And what would your hopes be for our community in that? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a couple opportunities in particular. I think at all of our campuses, we're going to run starting point. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you're kind of wondering what does it look like for me to get connected if your campus is running starting point and you want to get connected at Menlo that's a way to do that mm-hmm. uh, all of our campuses are running uh, something called exploring Christianity and so if you or a friend of yours is just like wanting to have good conversations that's the next thing to invite them to um, just a, a really safe environment to ask questions and explore the basics of faith where we're not assuming everyone in the room agrees with us or believes the same way that's a amazing way. Mm-hmm. Our weekends are going to be built around something uh, around this idea of being for the Bay uh, for the next three weeks. And so that's, I hope, a really, really easy invite to say, even if you're not all about Jesus, here's what we're going to talk about. Week one, we're going to talk about the idea uh, that to be for the Bay means to love the Bay. And uh, that means even loving our, our enemies. Like, mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we do that? Uh, the second one uh, is serving the Bay. How do we genuinely, not just community partners, but even within our own communities, uh, how do we serve? And then the third week, we're going to talk about what does it mean uh, to share the message and hope of Jesus with the Bay? Because that is our agenda. Like, we want to do that. Uh, and so hopefully that will create this extended conversation that is both relevant to a church person wondering, what do I do after COVID as a follower of Jesus in the Bay community? Um, and an unchurched person going, hey, Easter, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's actually my goal, by the way, for Christmas <laughs> and Easter. When I sit down with people who have become Christians and uh, one of their first things was Christmas or Easter, it, that is the goal line. And almost always, uh, sometimes I've had this conversation literally years after. I've, d- I've done video stories with people who this is their story, and I ask them to share their experience, and they, and they will say something to the effect of, someone invited me to Christmas or Easter. I came, and they've literally said at times, it didn't suck as much as I thought it would. <laughs> nice. And I'm like, crushed it. We did it, everybody, yep. you yeah. know? Uh, and then that just sort of earns us another weekend of credibility, earns us another conversation. Hopefully, it kind of messes up lunch for them. It messes up the mm. next day. It, it invades conversations that uh, it's been described as the hound of heaven starts chasing them down uh, with a love that they can't escape. Like, that's what we hope God does. We can set the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately God's the one that's going to do, mm-hmm. do the work. Yeah, We'll have links for all of that in the show notes. Fun fact, the Exploring, Christian- Exploring Christianity class, there's also an online option. Look at that. See? Mm-hmm. So if you're not local or you can't make it to one of our campuses, mm-hmm. definitely check that out. It's going to be led by the Reverend Dr. Scott Pombush and the 
singing pastor Adam Hendricks. So that would be a fun one. With curriculum from that guy from Mountain View, yeah. Matt Summers. <laughs> Holler. Totally. That's all fun. Yeah. And I would say like an encouraging piece, you know, if you are listening to this and you're like, man, I really wish I invited someone to Easter. I have a couple people I should have done that. I think Phil just gave a long list of other places mm-hmm. that you can invite people to do that. Um, and we hope you don't hear this as a guilt trip for not inviting somebody, but just an opportunity for more ways to invite people and feel encouraged that there hopefully can come to a safe space mm-hmm. where it doesn't feel scary and that they could think that it just wasn't at, as bad as they thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think that if, if you haven't had an unchurched person come to church with you in a while, it is the greatest gift mm-hmm. to bring an unchurched person with you because all the things, all the things that make church weird for an unchurched person are sort of invisible. Like it all just looks like the wallpaper mm-hmm. when you're a church person for a while. But the moment my neighbor shows up that I've been inviting and building a relationship with and really want them to know Jesus and all that, like the moment that they're in there, I'm like, oh gosh, this is weird. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. All those kind of like cringy things that for us, it's just the cost of admission. Um, I think it's what, what I hope you will continue to see in here at Menlo is um, we assume unchurched people are in the room every time we gather. Mm-hmm. And so Easter is an opportunity for us to just, you know, I, I think about the language of like double barrel preaching. How do you communicate to church people and unchurched people at the mm-hmm. same time? I think about that all the time. Um, and then hopefully on days like Christmas and Easter where I have a much more diverse audience uh, theologically, I can then just narrow to a particular audience. I know I probably won't get again in the same way. Um, but I hope, yeah, everything that we do, you go, hey, there's this helpful series that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's going to be some stuff you can do with it. And it, and belonging, like we talked about, belonging at Menlo cannot be about people that look like us, believe like us, live like us. Mm-hmm. That was never, ever the cost of entry to, to belonging with Jesus. That ultimately, uh, transformation and uh, a faith framework came through the vehicle of community, through the mess of mm-hmm. it, through the difficult mm-hmm. reality of it. And so if we sort of gatekeep and we go, well, we can't have those kinds of people in our community because what will they do? I get it. I understand. But I would just say, trust Jesus. Trust the Holy Spirit to do the work in that person's life. Um, and what a powerful reality that those people you're thinking about right now, God could capture their heart and actually change it. And then you don't have to feel guilt that you did something to manipulate. It was never you in mm-hmm. the first place. The Bible says the people that we're supposed to hold accountable are fellow Christians. What we're supposed to do for unchurched people is just love them. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, yeah, but if I just love them, who's going to tell them that they're wrong? <laughs> well, the scriptures will communicate clearly what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're like, yeah, yeah, but who's going to make them feel bad about it? Uh, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Your name is not the scriptures. Your name is not the Holy Spirit. Your job is to love, serve, and share the good news of Jesus with the Bay. Amen. And what's the worst they could say? No. Right. No, thank you. Like, okay. Sounds mm-hmm. great. Cool. Well, thanks, Phil. Of this course. Is great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we hope that uh, you are as inspired as we are to join in all of the stuff that we have going on going forward. Again, lots of things coming up in this next season, both on Sundays, during the week, in person, online. So check out the links below for that. Text our team if you need anything. If you have any questions, we'd love to point you in a direction and pray with you. And have a great week. Woo! Bye, everybody. Bye.